Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, Melbourne-based beauty journalist, Brittany Stewart. If you are new here or you just need a little recap, each episode I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look or confidence boost, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. It's not about being practical on a desert island, although you can be, but more about exploring the stories behind the beauty products that have helped shape who they are today. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and have some wider conversations about the beauty industry and beyond. Today, my guest is Chrissy Zamora, hairstylist, colourist and salon owner of Sydney's Zamora Salon. She's worked in one of Sydney's top salons before launching her own, has had work published in fashion magazines including Marie Claire, and as a champion of inclusive hairdressing, most recently drawing attention to the fact that caring and styling afro and curly hair is not currently part of the hairdressing curriculum in Australia. That leaves black, indigenous and people of colour deprived of skilled hair care with hair left mistreated, however well-intentioned, due to lack of education. The petition she started earlier this year has currently got over 30,000 signatures and Chrissy, calling for the support of the industry and beyond, is making overdue waves to change this. We talk about this more in depth in the episode, but please, if you can sign and share the petition the link is in the show notes of this episode it takes less than a minute to do elsewhere in the episode we talk about the iconic maybelline dream matte mousse foundation and her memories with that product her career shift from finance to hairdressing plus not one but two moves halfway around the world to make it happen forging a new beauty attitude in an industry built on insecurities, the double standards in anti-aging conversations, and of course, some must-know hair tips, including the hair habit she wants us all to stop doing. If you enjoy this episode, please rate and write a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify, depending where you're listening. As an independent podcaster, those things really help in growing and sharing the podcast, sharing Beauty Island, so we can keep on having these beauty conversations. Now, over to Chrissy. Enjoy. Chrissy, welcome to Beauty Island. I am very chuffed and excited to be chatting with you today. Thank you for having me. Now, obviously, beauty and hair has become not just a passion for you, but your job as well. But if we rewind back to the beginning a bit, what was your first memory of beauty? Were the women in your family interested in beauty or what was kind of that early introduction like for you? My family, um, we're from Zimbabwe. And there's a lot of traditional, so I guess, like ancient methods surrounding beauty, especially when it comes to how we looked after our hair. Like the braids I have now, this was up all night doing this. So this was about 10 hours, you know, so that kind of thing where like, especially hair, hair was a communal thing. You all sit around together and do each other's hair, you know. That's what I remember about beauty growing up. And like I said, my mom was like a original minimalist, like not a product junkie at all. She had used, I mean, I think she changed maybe in the last five years. So I, I grew up with her using the same face cream all my life. 
and she has no, not a single pimple on her face, you know. But then me, the product junkie, I'm like, oh, this, oh, this, you know. Beauty is always like less is more. That's what I grew up around. So the first product on your list is one I think that you grew up watching your mum use, which is the Camphor Cream. Is that the cream that you're talking about? that's the one, yeah. It does put things into perspective, doesn't it, that we can use and try all these products and she's used one product her whole life and has the skin that we're all kind of trying to achieve. Literally. I mean, now she uses other things, but especially when it comes to her face, she won't mess around. She will use the same thing over and over again. And she's quite sensitive as well. Maybe that's why. She's very sensitive. And as you mentioned, you are originally from Zimbabwe. What was kind of your childhood like and what was young Chrissy like? So I grew up in Zimbabwe until I was 10 and then I moved to the UK. So my childhood was sort of broken up into two continents. So my early, early years, outdoors was like the major thing. Like in Africa, kids are outside, you know, you come back home when the streetlights come on and then you move to the UK where you need parental supervision all the time. You know, kids can't just roam around. Even here, kids just can't roam around. They don't have that freedom. Whereas in Africa, kids are looked after by the community. So even if a stranger is to come into the community and take a child, like people would know you, that you're not from around here. So yeah, like that, my childhood sort of like changed quite drastically moving to the UK and like freedom wasn't a thing anymore. Like you had to get your mom to take you to the park. Whereas before you could just go to the park. That was the, yeah, that's what my childhood was like. And what did you imagine that you would do when you grew up? Oh, so initially I wanted to be an air hostess badly. I don't even know why. It's not like I liked heights or anything. I don't even know <laughs> why. And then that changed when I got to the UK. I wanted to be a lawyer. And during, like I, I did law during my, so in, in the UK you do your HSC equivalent and you pick your subjects. So I picked law and I was, there. I was like, oh my God, this is the best. I love criminal law. I like a crime story, you know. And then I went and shadowed one lawyer, one of my uncle's friends, and he did not sell it to me. Like one bit. I was like, oh no, this, nah, this is not for me. <laughs> this is not for me. So yeah, like the, I think I went through like law was probably one of the things I was still quite, I was very passionate about, but I think I'm still passionate about law and equality because of, even though I'm a hairdresser, like I still feel like equality and justice when it comes to things is very important to me and there are so many ways to do it that it's not like you have to be a lawyer to be doing it exactly 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 and then from a beauty perspective I always think that you know obviously our teens and early 20s are when we kind of get a bit creative and experimental which is the best part of beauty with looks if we were to kind of flip through the family albums of those time what kind of looks would we see you sporting uh no eyebrows over (laughs) you would find very glossy lips though you would find high glossy lips so I remember when I was a teen there was um I don't know if there were a thing here like the little rollable lip balms and they were so glossy and they had like bubblegum flavors and that was like my first sort of beauty item I guess but like they they literally didn't no hydration nothing they were just glossy and shiny and sticky and they wouldn't do much to your lips. <laughs> yeah, so you'd find no eyebrows and glossy lips and baby hairs. I grew up in like baby hairs were a thing. You gel them things down and yeah, you're <laughs> good to go. Yeah. And I love that. And yes, as you mentioned, the, the second product on your list is the first one that you kind of remember owning yourself, which is that 
delightfully sticky sleep lip gloss with bubblegum flavors which I think a lot of us can <laughs> had a variation of at some yeah, point yeah now I believe you actually when it came to studying you actually started studying finance is that right before right. I think working part-time as a makeup artist mm-hmm. and doing some modeling as well I believe mm-hmm. so yeah tell me a bit about that and then what prompted the shift into what you're doing now I started off I went to uni for finance because I got good grades in my maths that that just sound I mean I wasn't going to go and do mathematics that's for sure so I thought okay accounting and finance and I got there and wasn't enjoying it and then I was starting off in modeling but then I also didn't like being in front of the camera I was more interested in what was happening with the cameraman with the makeup artist with the hairdresser you know everybody else but being in front of the camera was my focus and what I was sort of intrigued by and then I started assisting a lady who was a makeup artist and she pretty much taught me everything I know about makeup. So I was assisting her three to four days a week and she was quite, you know, big in the industry. She was doing editorials. She was doing a lot. So I was quite exposed to a lot of things, which led to me actually being able to assist her on the X Factor UK. So that was really cool. And at the same time, I was like, I want to get into film and TV, but I need hairdressing. Now, in the UK, after you've left school, it's pretty hard to do like a, an adult apprenticeship to be a hairdresser. So when I moved here, and at the time that I moved in 2012, there was like a big push from the government to, to support um, adults who want to change careers. So adult apprenticeships were being supported highly. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll do it. And then I looked into it, and yeah, like it's just, yeah, now we're here <laughs> pretty much. I think what made hairdressing easy for me to get into was the government was really supportive of adult apprenticeships. So hair was something that you knew you wanted to get into, but it actually wasn't until you came to Australia that you yeah. kind of, the ball was rolling for actually yeah. becoming qualified yeah. to do yeah, that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we leave your teens behind, I'd love to talk about the product that defined your teens, which is such an iconic teenage product, which is, of course, the Maybelline Dream Satin Mousse Foundation. Yeah. Tell me about your memories with that product. I mean, it was, well, for me, it was like the only drugstore brand that was doing darker shades, you know, and it was nice. It was very, very nice. But actually, now, now in comparison, it probably needed a bit of work. But, <laughs> but at the time, it was like, you know, we couldn't afford like the Bobby Browns and the Macs and, you know, so Dream Satin Mousse was. I think it was like seven ninety nine at the time pounds, which is what maybe thirteen dollars. So it was very affordable. And again, at that time, like I didn't have bad skin or anything, so it wasn't really for coverage or it's just a very lightweight foundation. It's interesting as well because I was just before we started chatting, I was thinking about it because seeing it on your list reminded reminded me about it. And I remember thinking when I used to use it, you know, it's such a nice texture, the mousse. And then I was thinking. Nobody makes a mousse foundation anymore, oh. and probably there's a, probably a reason for it. <laughs> there's, I mean, they really tried though because it was a big thing. I, I still remember all the black girls in school. It was a huge deal because it was the drugstore brand that you could afford that actually did shades for you. I mean, the, I mean, the shades were not that extensive either, but like you could you could get away with it. You could make it work for you. And I know that you do have a foundation on your list that's one that you love now which is the Fenty Foundation. Tell me a bit about that one because obviously um, 
I imagine that's doing better things for your skin than the, the Maybelline definitely, that most. Definitely. I think it's the foundation that I found over the years that matches my skin to a T. Like I don't have to make it work. It just works, you know. The undertone, because usually sometimes when I get foundation, they're a bit too red or they're too yellow or they're quite ashy and I just quite like I'm neutral and it's not like too dewy. You can sort of build on it. Like it's, yeah, it's a good one. As you mentioned with the Maybelline one, it really, you know, it, it's a product that plays um, that a lot of people remember, but yeah. when it comes down to it, it was one that you used because it was really one of the only foundations that exactly. had your shades. And we talk about an expansive shade range is really only in the last year or two been something that brands have actually kind of started yeah. to come to the fore yeah. and actually offer yeah. with Fenty mm-hmm. being yeah. a huge um, yeah. leader in that. So I would love to know from you, as we're kind of slowly seeing this very, very appalling and overdue shift, mm-hmm. it, does it change the experience of shopping for makeup for you now that you know that there are brands Absolutely. that you can go to? Absolutely, because before, like even as as recent as when I moved here, you know, that was, what, nine years ago now? And I still remember Priceline wasn't stocking anything. Um, and I'd have to go to Maya. And I remember there was a brand that I knew that I had used before from the UK called Ilamasca, which you could find in Maya's. So I was going for them and I was like, and I don't live in this city. I was like, this is crazy. Like if I run out of a foundation, I have to trek it to the city. That's that's wild. And because I didn't use MAC much either, I just didn't like their foundations on me. Also, I didn't want to pay $100 for a foundation. <laughs> that's you know, but yeah, like I think it's definitely now I can now I can go into Priceline, which is refreshing. Even though like I don't use much drugstore like foundations, like I'll prefer to spend a bit more on my foundations and I can skimp on on everything else, but my foundation I would rather that's where I spend my money when it comes to makeup. What was it that prompted the move to Australia? My mum got a job here. She was like, Do you wanna come? I was like, mm, maybe. And then I got here and it was sunny. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm <Yep>. cold. <laughs> so I'm definitely sold. So you've moved to Sydney. You're starting your hair qualifications. Mm-hmm. It's sunny. Um, yeah. Tell me about those early years, establishing yourself in the hair industry. What was, what was uh, that like? I mean, it's almost like being like a newborn baby moving to a new country. So obviously you're doing a career change one which is a huge deal. And you've moved to a new country. And I actually thought Australia was going to be more British and it's actually more American. (laughs) So that was like a shocker to me. Like even the way things happen, like the taxation system, the banking system, my food shopping, you know, like I don't know the brands, like all of it, you know, like that was, it was just like you're literally like a newborn child. You've got no idea what's going on. You're learning to walk again. You're learning how things happen here. Um, what I remember actually shocking me was the banking system, that there was banking fees when you open an account. Um, and obviously they were wiped out now. Or even like using your ATM card on a machine that's not your bank. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. You know? And then starting my apprenticeship, so I started off in a salon, a smaller salon in Chippendale, and again, you're learning, you're in a local salon. So you're dealing with a lot of local clientele and you're dealing, I, I didn't know the lingo. And even like in terms of like your pop culture gossip, I didn't know it. 
So your local, like local celebs, I don't know them. So whenever like people are making comments or references to a joke about certain, I don't know what you're talking about, you know? So, and then hairdressing is very like casual. So you need to know current things in a way. Do you know what I mean? To be able to relate to your clients and whatnot. But I mean, I got over it. I got, like, I got used to like the people I was working with, they were very like Aussie, Aussie, you know what I mean? And like, I probably learned a lot about like Australian culture and just like like certain words because you know like there's English and then there's Australian English <laughs> you know and I remember the words like uh, it's good hey oh it's good but <laughs> <laughs> but what but what you know so yeah it was just really really um interesting to be doing that to, to be learning all of that stuff at once you know and particularly because it would have been something that you would have gone through slightly when you moved to London, when you uh, to the UK when you were ten. But it's yeah. so much more different as a, as a child as, as well. As a child, everything is sort of like prepped for you. You know what I mean? As an adult, you're having to to do everything yourself. You're having to create your new life, your new social circles, all of that stuff. I moved from the UK to Melbourne when I was thirteen, so oh, I was lucky cool. that I was um, younger. But I just identify exactly with what you were saying. Like someone would say, um, we had to, do, to go somewhere for school. And I asked where it was. And someone said, oh, it's in Whoop Whoop. And so I go to my dad. Oh, we have to go to Whoop Whoop. Whoop Whoop. <laughs> and he's like, what? Yeah, it's in Whoop Whoop. Like I have the funniest story, actually. So I've got a cousin who grew up here. And one day she was coming over. This would have been like a couple of months after I'd moved here. And she said, hey, I'm coming over. Have you eaten? And I was like, no, I haven't eaten. She said, oh, what do you want? I'm going through Macca's. And I was like, oh, what's Macca's? <laughs> oh, <I love> Macca's. <laughs> and she was like, Macca's? It's like, you know, burgers and stuff. I was like, oh, okay, nice, nice. You know, I'll have a burger. Pick whatever for me. You know, so I'm like thinking is this like, you know, I don't know, bespoke burger joint. <laughs> she rocks up at McDonald's. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> It's all those yeah, little things. Those little things, like they really throw you off when you're new here. Because you're thinking, I think like many Brits actually who would move here if they've never been, you would think it's going to be so Australian because of the history. But it's so American in every sense of the word, you know. Yeah. The landscape mimics the US more than the UK. The systems mimic the US more than the UK which is very interesting I understand America has a huge influence on the whole world but I just thought it was interesting that Australia was hugely influenced by America in the way they do things Mm. you were working at the salon in Chippendale Mm -hmm. and I know that you have also trained uh did some training at Sydney's Vlons with Renya yes so tell me a bit about that period of time and and kind of how you went like I said those kind of middle years of once you were qualified and working in the hair industry and establishing yourself to the point where you are now which is obviously with your own salon so when I left Chippendale I wasn't at Chippendale for long I was there for maybe two to three months and because it was a very small salon there was only two stylists and I was like I really need to I want to be amongst it you know I want to be in it like if I'm going to be a hairdresser I need to be with the with the best of the best and Valence, you know. So I I got a job at Valence, and the best training I could have ever asked for because you're assisting some of Australia's best hairdressers day in day out, and you're working with high profile clients as well who have a lot of demands and they have a specific look they want, and you know you're working like I mean the 
the pre- not the pressure like but the expectations on perfection and doing a good job was so high that yeah it molded exactly how I am as a hairdresser now when it comes to obviously there are so many different facets of hairdressing there's kind of being in, in salon with yeah. clients and working on shoots there's the editorial yeah. things where is the which is the area that you love most to work on yeah, I like all of it I can't do just one all the time I would lose my mind I do love salon though I do love salon work it's like my first love obviously I I do like salon work because it's like you're really transforming people's lives by showing them how they can do amazing things to their hair and yeah like I I, I really do love salon work but I I couldn't do salon work all the time like I need to mix it up the fourth product on your list is your kind of holy grail or greatest discovery, which for mm-hmm. you is the Organic Suku Hydrate Hair Mist. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this one. This product is like close to my heart because so being in Australia, um, there's not many brands that cater to Afro hair. Some brands would cater to like curly hair, but to Afro hair, no. And Organic Suku is one of Australia's only brands that actually looks after Afro hair. So their products are specifically for Afro hair. And the hair mist is, because most Afro hair products as well are quite heavy, quite greasy. And this is just lightweight, but hydrating. And like, you don't even use a lot of it. And it's Australian. I don't have to ship it and wait six weeks to get a product. You know what I mean? And is this one that you can you can only get in salon or is it available online? You can buy it, on, can... buy it online. You can buy it on organicsuku.com. You can buy it online. I'll stock it soon in the salon as well. Recently, you created a petition to, and I think this is something that people outside of hair might not know that actually afro and curly hair is not currently a mandatory part of the certificate three in hairdressing mm-hmm. today it has got almost twenty thousand signatures um but let's rewind a little bit from that because i think it's like when, when you when you boil it down what it essentially means that because of that huge and important gap in the curriculum mm-hmm. when you became a qualified hairdresser technically professionally you would not have been able to work on your own hair Absolutely. if you didn't have the experience Absolutely. of doing your own hair. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, and, and it's not just you. And then by extension, that means that hairdressers cannot cater to a large portion Absolutely. of the Australian yeah. population. Uh-huh. It just becomes, you know, I know. I think like a, lot of, a lot of people just assumed that hairdressers were lazy. That was, I think, a lot of people's assumption. And most people just didn't realize you know they just thought hairdressers were just too lazy to cater to straight hair but they didn't actually realize that hairdressers are essentially just trained to look after straight hair (laughs) like in reality that's that's what the curriculum it doesn't say only learn straight hair but the system is molded in that way and I know that for a long time and obviously also more recently a number of well-known figures in the fashion and and beauty and kind of acting industry have spoken about, you know, what this means when they go on set, that Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm. incredibly talented and celebrated actresses are on set and there's no one that can, you know, has the right um, products for their their face or their hair. And so even when we kind of boil that back down to on a client level, Mm -hmm. because of this lack of education, what does that mean for when a client with Afro or curly hair walks into standard hairdresser as Mm -hmm. it currently stands what does kind of that gap of education mean for them they either get turned away one or they would get inexperienced hairdressers wanting to use them as a guinea pig which can lead to a disastrous experience um and then they they leave after they've just left with you know after spending so much money 
unhappy with the hair and then probably going to go and spend more time on the hair at home fixing whatever has just been done in the salon. As you say, it's obviously um, oversight. Well, not. I don't know whether you think it's I oversight think, or not. No, I don't think it's an oversight. I think it's a situation where it's such a when we when we look at systematic racism, right? People people think of racism as wearing a Ku Klux Klan outfit and lynching people. That's what that's what people think of racism. But racism is a construct. Racism is a system. So if you have a system, so even if the people at TAFE and at these arts organizations are not racist, they are upholding a racist system. You know what I mean? So like when you actually want to dismantle racism, you have to dismantle the systems as opposed to individual people because, you know, I mean, individual people too, but the systems have to be completely dismantled. And it's like for me, and, and you know, I thought, what can I do in my lane? I can't go and criticize, I don't know, the health profession. I, it's not my world. I can't go criticize the journalism world. I, it's not my world. I don't understand it. But I understand hairdressing. I know it like the back of my hand. I know the system that I trained in and I know everything that happens in it and how it affects myself as a client, how it affects myself as a hairdresser and how it affects the whole industry and the community as a whole. And this is how I thought I could make a change and a difference for any for anybody who looks like me or has curly textured hair. And is it something that you think is particularly missing in the Australian hairdressing industry or is it obviously a lot more widespread? Obviously you have the experience in the UK as well. Like it's how global. does that compare? It's global because so in the UK they have a similar petition going as well, but the difference in the UK, there's a lot more Afro hairdressers. There's a lot more hairdressers that do look after it, whereas here there's not many, you know, um, and that's mainly also because, you know, Africans or um, Islanders, like we haven't, I think Islanders have been here the longest when it comes to people with textured hair and Indigenous, obviously, but Africans haven't been here for that long, whereas in the UK, Africans have been there, but in masses as well, and because the UK is a lot smaller, so things can progress pretty quick. And people can band together quickly. I've got no idea what's happening in Perth. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> Australia is so massive that for for a small group of people in the country to band together to create change takes longer for it to happen. And, and what is the obviously the hopeful outcome is that it becomes part of the on kind of a first level that it becomes part mm-hmm. of the curriculum. What are the steps from where we are now with the almost twenty thousand signatures yeah. to get there? So I've been talking to TAFE, and this is another thing I was learning a lot because in the UK, everything is sort of public. The government owns everything almost. Not in Australia. Everything is quite private. Um, So TAFE is not – they just teach the curriculum. They don't create the curriculum. So the curriculum is created by another independent governing body, um, but then they have to lobby to the government. Like it's it's honestly one of the most tedious – like one of the most tedious processes that I have just recently wrapped my head around. Now I fully understand what has to happen. So the industry needs to demand it. So especially salon owners. So even though we've got a lot of signatures, I'm actually going to do another survey um, through the petition to actually get the numbers of salon owners. We need more salon owners signing the petition and also publicly advocating for, for the change to happen. So if there are any people working in the hair industry or salon owners listening and obviously mm-hmm. I will and we will be speaking a lot more about this mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. platforms as well. Mm-hmm. What would you like them to do? 
um, to publicly support the petition and publicly call out for it and to sign the petition and also make it clear that they are salon owners that want to be able to offer these services in their salons. Because essentially that's where the, you know, the editorials and the film, that's all the, the other branches, but the roots of it is salons. That's the roots of hairdressing, you know. So they're the ones who can actually really assist in making this change happen. The fifth product on your list is the one that gives you your signature look or a bit of a confidence boost, yeah. which for you is lip balm. So tell me about, is there a particular one that you love? Oh, Carmex. Yeah, I like Carmex. And yeah, like if I have dry lips, honestly, I, I'm just like this. <laughs> I don't, I can't handle dry lips. I cannot dry, get handle dry lips. And I actually don't feel as confident if my lips are dry. I love that the sticky lip gloss has, has grown up into, into a, a solid, reliable yeah. lip balm. <laughs> so you are you have your own salon now, the Zamora yeah. Salon in Bella Vista in Sydney. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about the decision that you, or when you knew that you wanted and felt ready to go out on your own and then making it happen. I mean, I was never ready to be fair. Like, is anyone ever ready to do that kind of thing? But I, I knew that I just wanted a space that every single hair texture could walk into and be looked after adequately and professionally with respect as well, as opposed to like, oh, just chuck a keratin. You know what I mean? Um, and if somebody wanted a keratin, they can get that done, but with the right advice as opposed to just selling them something, you know, because I think we all know that the beauty industry thrives on people's insecurities, but... You know, I think and everybody involved in the beauty industry, what we can do so that it just doesn't remain about people's insecurities, we can actually use it to empower people and not just use it as a way to just touch on people's insecurities. Like we all have insecurities, you know what I mean? But I think we also have the power to empower people. So that's what I wanted to do. Like if somebody walks in, but then also people having a choice because what what ends up happening with people's with women especially there's so many people always saying what women should look like and dress and have their hair or makeup you know and I think it should all be a choice if you want to wear your hair curly that is your choice you have the choice to do that if you want to have your hair straight that is your choice you have the choice to do that but you decide that but also you decide that with the right knowledge not market fueled knowledge you know what I mean but actual in-depth knowledge because my other issue in as a hairdresser like most hairdressers say to me that their job now is a sales job um they're selling your shampoo they're upselling your treatment do you need it probably not but they have targets to hit that's something I don't want to do and and that's why I haven't hired anyone because I'm I'm not quite sure how I want to be as a salon that has employers because it is a business it has to make money but like I want to do in the most respectful and ethical way possible. I'm not out here just to take money from people. I actually want to transform people's lives with their hair. And I think that's such an important point as well, because on this podcast and more generally, you know, I, I really, we want to celebrate the power of beauty, but beyond like you were saying, hmm. and I do think it is such a big problem, how much of the industry is based on praying and also encouraging new insecurities in, like you said, particularly women, which is something that I personally grappled with, you know, being a beauty journalist and having this yeah. podcast and talking about it. But I think what, and I, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts and whether you think as the kind of 
power within the industry has shifted uh-huh. from these big brands much more onto consumers having more of a say in uh-huh. calling the shot uh-huh. and individuals rather than you know mass corporations and, and brands do you think we are seeing a bit of a shift in people embracing and upholding that attitude towards beauty about empowering and celebrating or not necessarily celebrating accepting and that idea of kind of neutrality of just enjoying what you have rather than trying to, to look a certain way. way you know and for me like with you know when you're a hairdresser and you're, you're still in your training you're still trying to figure out what kind of a hairdresser you want to be and for me I decided to be a hairdresser that will work with your natural texture and with your natural color because color is another big thing that is used in the industry to make women feel insecure especially when it comes to grays it's so ingrained that the minute you get grays ban them and cover them blanket them they don't exist you know which is fun everybody like and another thing is what this thing that has been instilled in women about getting older as a negative yet you see a silver fox guy and he's celebrated but it's mm. not the same for women why you know so i'm always trying to encourage my clients i'm like why don't you blend in your grays with your natural with the rest of your hair as a because you get a root coverage that's four weeks that it looks good for <laughs> four weeks and you've got to be back again you know and I, and i really have an issue with that i just think that as an industry like we really we really need to change we really really need to change because we like where does this go do you know what i mean how like where does it honestly go how bad can it honestly get because it's at the point now like when i hear of like 15 year olds having issues with their like i i just can't fail because when i was 14 i was my insecurities really didn't come around until maybe 19 20 you know sort of young adult but as a teenager i was just a kid with my sticky lip gloss like you know like it was just, <laughs> I just didn't care as much but also I think me I, I really put that down to my family and my my mom and her sisters they're very confident women and they're very different from each other though they've they're all very different like my mom is a very quiet and very shy my my mom's sister is very you know out there she would dress flashy you know she likes to show her fashion more and Again, even when it comes to insecurities about your look, your hair, your skin, I never had that because I had women who were not negative about themselves around me. So I think even now, like my daughter will like, we, we used to do this thing growing up. Like if somebody was wearing something nice, they'd be like, ooh, you look nice, do a fashion show. Like that was literally my childhood, you know, that's nothing new. And it's the same thing for my daughter. So she's mirroring this and she doesn't have, and I, and I hope she doesn't develop these type of insecurities that I'm hearing and seeing about, which is just, yeah, there's actually other things to worry about in life. And you and you realise how much of it is conditioning. Like as soon as you pointed out the silver fox, it's like, well, George Clooney's not flogging, flogging eye cream. Where's the anti-aging adverts yeah. for men? Like, you know it's what just- I mean? It's just like for women, it's just like stay youthful, stay 24. It's like, no, I'm 45. Like, do you know? we need to be look to stay youthful what's wrong with aging beautifully you know what i mean like what's wrong with that but yeah it's just again it's it's all marketing it's all marketing and you know women 
buy into it because again it, it does put barriers in front of them when they don't fit these criteria if they're not a certain size if they're not certain hair color like it just put barriers in place professionally which i which look i understand but let's rebel a little bit let's just go against the status quo i think because yeah because even when i've told people um i remember after my daughter because i was skinny before my daughter i was like a size six all my life i could never gain weight i had my daughter put on weight i lost it and i put it back on again because i really hated being skinny after having i was like oh no, no i'll put the weight back on so i'm like a 12 now and I don't think I've ever felt more confident being bigger than I did when I was skinny, you know? And then people always like, that's so strange. I'm like, I know, but that's because we've been conditioned that there's only one size fits all for women. You should be mm-hmm. skinny. You should be youthful, long flowy hair, no grays, <laughs> but men just show up as they are. That's crazy. Mm. <laughs> that's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. Yeah. A lot that needs addressing, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And when you look at look back at your career so far, obviously I imagine there have been so many highlights of who you've worked with going out on your own. What is the kind of lead highlight when you look back on so far? I'll probably say maybe my time at Valence because I really got to – I got to do so much fun stuff as an apprentice, like Fashion Week. I'm sorry. Like how many apprentices get to work at Fashion Week? Mm-hmm. And sort of actually seeing the real world of hairdressing outside the salon before I was even a hairdresser. That was probably my highlight, I would say. But also seeing how all my seniors just never stopped learning. That was – that was really good to see because there's people, you know, they've been hairdressing for 15 plus years, yet they still feel like, let me learn something else. Let me, let me do this, you know, which, which I think is a very good place to be in, in any profession. Because I think once you've reached a, I know it all now, yeah, like it's game over. <laughs> and it's interesting as well, because when you're younger, you just want to rush to that point when you know it all. But I think as you get older, you realise yeah. you will never know you and you don't that. want to know it all. You yeah. You never... And it's a journey. There's no destination to it. It is a journey that you gradually go through. To be honest, actually, like this petition is probably like another highlight. The messages I've received from hairdressers as well as people with curly and textured hair has been incredible. Absolutely incredible. Like a lot of hairdressers just saying, oh, do you know, I moved to the UK and US and I was so embarrassed that I couldn't do any other hair but straight hair, you know, and I missed out on jobs. Um, so it's like, oh, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm not crazy. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think the petition Absolutely. as well as my, my apprenticeship, I had a, I had fun during my apprenticeship. The sixth product on your list is a perfume that you love or has a special memory or meaning for you. And the perfume yeah. you've picked is one from Jo Malone. Tell me what it is and, and why it's so special to you. I think I bought that perfume. I just started, like, working and like I wanted to like spend my my mom's a big perfume person like she's one of those who sprays perfume to go to bed yeah like she'll like juice herself up before she goes to bed and I remember like she always had like a selection of perfumes and that was one of them and I liked and I remember I went and bought it myself I would have been like 17 18 because it was drama was expensive for a 17 year old especially I remember I went and bought it and I just remember I was like yeah yeah I'm, I'm like a woman like mom now okay cool <laughs> that's just <laughs> You know, that's just what I, because I look up to my mum a lot. Yeah, it reminds me of her and it makes me feel like I'm becoming her a little bit. I don't know. I'll never be her. Like, she's great. It's funny because 
a lot of people who I've spoken to on this podcast, and it, it, it is usually actually always around perfume, that particularly the ones that stick out to us are the ones that make us feel like we were more grown up. Grown up. Remind us of. So it's interesting that that's always the. Um, yeah, yeah. It stands out so much to us. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Speaking more broadly about hair, uh-huh. what is the habit, the habit or product that you see people using a lot that you wish you could just scream out? stop or don't do that a lot there's a lot there's a lot lot. especially now with social media and inst and youtube you know i think i and i truly believe many makeup artists and hairdressers would say youtubers have changed our industries in ways that and and kudos to these girls who do youtube um they do fantastic things but then they do things that suit their skin and their hair it's personal to them but then it comes across as if it's a universal, as if it's like a professional advice when it's not, um, which makes our, whole job, our, our job harder because then you get clients coming like, oh, I want this color. So-and-so did it. And I'm like, but so-and-so didn't tell you that tomorrow, the next morning her hair was falling out. <laughs> <laughs> but social media has changed our industries a lot. And on the flip side of that, what's kind of a good hair habit that you wish people did more of? Again, it comes back to social media because... So social media, especially with the curly girl method, so like that whole thing says girls should not shampoo their hair ever. No. <laughs> shampoo your hair. Like, shampoo your hair, you know. Yeah, definitely yeah. shampoo your hair. Please, please shampoo your hair. Like, But then, you know, there's there's methods that work differently for different people. Like I live as, as recent as yesterday, my client's first-time client, and she said to me, um, she came in for like a – a wash and treatment and stuff. She's like, are you going to shampoo? Because I I use the curly girl method, so we don't shampoo. I was like, why don't you shampoo? Please give me like an actual scientific reason as to why you do not shampoo. You should shampoo less when you have curly hair, but to say no shampoo completely, no, that's crazy. Shampoo Mm. your hair. Anyone curly listening, go shampoo your hair. (laughs) Noted. Yeah. We're coming to the final two products on your list. So the seventh product is a beauty product you always repurchase, which for you is shea butter. So tell me about why this is always in your cupboard. I have very dry skin, naturally. So I have to moisturize or else I am ashy central. I have to moisturize. And it's uh, it's a beautiful, rich African product. And, and I really feel like a lot of beauty routines, like everyone should look to Africa because there's some ancient methods in there that I think are forgotten and we're trying to reinvent the wheel, but all the answers are there. You just We just have to go back in time. Wherever that time is, that's where all the answers are. You know, we're not the first ones to do beauty. There's, there were many before. You know? <laughs> Outside of hair and beauty what are kind of some other some of your other passions say what what would kind of your ideal weekend involve what would we find you doing I love hiking love love hiking and um I never used to in the UK because it's cold and you don't have (laughs) but yeah moving here definitely I love the outdoors more definitely love the outdoors Mm. more and and I actually love being alone because my job is very full-on so I'm always giving, giving, giving my energy. So I do like to actually, I like I love solitude. I refuel when I spend time alone. So yeah, I refuel because I'm always with people. I'm always, always with people, whether it's working or my family. I have a huge family. 
who is someone who you feel has really shaped or inspired you? And that can be either personally or professionally. My family, actually, most of my family, because they moved from Zimbabwe. So Zimbabwe at the time that we moved was going through like major economic crisis, you know, and they pretty much up and left with nothing. And they got to the UK and created these lives for themselves and their families from scratch. And they're doing very well. You know, like I said, I think like a lot of my family that lives in Zimbabwe are, yeah, they adapt very easily, changes nothing to them. And, and I think maybe that's that's where I get it from as well. Like change is not a scary thing. I'm quite happy with change. I'm quite comfortable accepting change and just adapting to new things happening. The final product on your list is the one that you would trust with your life, which for you is coconut oil. Tell me more about why this is your, that you would trust with your life. You can use it for everything. You can cook with it. You can moisturize your body with it. You can put it in your bath oil. Like you can use it for everything. You can use it on your hair. And again, because I've got really dry skin, so any oil is welcome in my house. (laughs) Anything highly moisturizing and hydrating is definitely welcome. I don't mind the smell either. Multi-purpose use. Finally, and I wonder if obviously what you were saying about the incredible strength of your family as well, whether this has influenced your response. But when you think about success, what does that look like to you? Or what does it, how would you define feeling or being successful? Happiness, like pure, genuine happiness. And actually being at peace. Because a lot of people are not at peace. Like I think being at peace with yourself and where you are in life. Like I have a, so I'm 30 in a few months and I have a lot of friends who have an issue with turning 30 or not being married by 30, you know, having children. And that's not happiness. That's not peaceful. You are where you are because you're supposed to be there. That's You are where you are meant to be, you know, and I truly believe what's yours will always be yours. So fussing around why something hasn't happened, that just steals your joy. So I think happiness for me, pure happiness and pure peace is what I deem successful. I love that. That's a really beautiful yeah. answer. And we come to the final, final question, which mm-hmm. is of the eight products that you have told me about today, if you could take just one with you to Beauty Island, and it doesn't have to be practical, um, it can just be about you know what that product represents or how it mm-hmm. makes you feel. But if you could only take one with you, which one from your list would you pick? Coconut oil. <laughs> Oh, coconut oil or shea butter. Put one of those two because they're both kind kind of multi-purpose products. Mm. Yeah, maybe you could take the shea butter and then there might be coconut trees on the island that you could you make go. yourself, and then you'd have both. There you go. Can you tell I've spent too much time thinking about this? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually good. That's actually really good. Yeah, now I'll, I'll probably pick shea butter. I'll probably pick shea butter. Chrissy, thank you so, so much for your time today. It has been so lovely and delightful to hear about your incredible experience, what you're doing with the petition, which is so important, and also some of the products that have played a special role in your life as well. So thank you so much for your time and and sharing your beauty journey with me today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the incredible Chrissy Zamora. You can find where to follow her, her petition and her salon, plus all the products that she spoke about in today's episode in the show notes. 
If you fancy chatting more beauty, you are in the right place. You can find me on Instagram at Brittany Beauty BTS, where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture. Or you can sign up to my regular beauty newsletter. It's a beauty for thoughts and recommendations straight to your inbox. If you did enjoy this episode, it really, really helps when you share it with friends, neighbours, colleagues, family, whoever you think might also enjoy it whether it's a a text or a message with the link to the podcast saying hey I think you might enjoy this or even taking a screenshot of the episode and sharing it to your Instagram stories just make sure you tag me at beauty island podcast thank you so much for listening and for your support of beauty island and until next time bye bye